0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we pray for this service of the word. Our Father, how grateful we are to you for what you have given to us, a word that is living and powerful, a word of which you said will not return to you void. And so we pray, Father, that as your word, as it has been read, as it is preached, as it is listened to, that you would enable us, Lord, to obey you. And that our love for the Lord Jesus Christ deepens. And that you, Lord, are glorified. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. This morning, our, our sermon, the title of the sermon is Morning Into Dancing. Now, you know, nearly everyone likes dancing. And dancing is usually associated with joy and happy occasions, weddings, graduations, proms. And in a lot of ways, living is a dance, isn't it? We learn learn to move with the rhythms of life. It's sunrise, it's sunset, it's work, it's rest, it's birth and death. And it's wise, it's wise of you to figure out the dance, no matter who you are or where you're from, because we all must learn how to dance with the rhythms of life. Now there are two common myths that exist in our minds that that must be dispelled. One is that all black people can dance. That's not true. And white people need help to dance and they get it from beer. Both of those are not true. Every, everyone needs, to, everyone though, needs to learn how to dance in and, and, and with the rhythms of life. But however, so we, dancing, we're, we're it, yeah, it's something that we must learn to do and be wise about, but we also are, are we're, we are really accustomed to mourning, just as much as, as wisdom is needed to learn the rhythms of life, it, it's true also that everyone must know how to deal with mourning. It's Mourning, mourning is associated with, with pain, with, with loss, disappointment. Everyone mourns. If you're young, you mourn the balloon that's swept away by the wind and your, your father can't retrieve it for you. If you're a teenager, you mourn the lack of understanding that your parents have of your maturity at the age of 15. If you're a young adult, you mourn the struggles of of paying your own bills and and having the dailiness of work interfering with with spending time with your friends. If you're a newlywed, you mourn the loss of, of making small independent decisions. It hits you the first time you get that text that says, where are you? (laughs) And you thought, oh, I didn't, do I really need to say where I am at every, yeah, see no matter how much marital counseling you've gotten that told you and warned you about this, it will still be, it will hit you the moment you get that text that says, where are you? Oh, I can't make independent decisions unilaterally anymore that if you're older, you mourn the loss of of parents and and siblings or a spouse, the the declining of motor skills, and the list goes on and and on. Everyone mourns. But if only mourning could be turned to dancing. But the scripture here is telling us that God can turn mourning into dancing, and the passage here in, in Psalm 30 is showing us how God turns mourning into dancing. And this is a relevant message for me, having just lost my, my Aunt Essaby, My she's my father's last sibling, the end of, of that generation. So I hope that you don't mind me preaching to myself. Now, this psalm is a resurrection psalm, and it shows us how the Lord's resurrection has powerful implications for our suffering and grief. And, and following what the psalm shows us, we find ways in which the resurrection power of Christ transforms our mourning into dancing. God transforms our mourning into dancing when we, when we locate our help and learn the lessons of God's favor while not believing lies we can't live by. But leaning on mercy, we can't live without taking in the loving kindness that loosens our sackcloth, bringing lasting gratitude. See, we had to post it because that's a long sentence and it's kind of like the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Not nearly as in depth though. <laughs> so. But here, the first thing that we need to do, if you, if, 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 and so yes, this is a how-to sermon from a psalm, and I know that that's not what you normally think, but the psalms is full. The psalms are full of this type of thing, instructing us and, and teaching us. So the first thing we need to do is locate our help. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. So this is a psalm. It's a psalm of David. The heading says it's a song that's at the dedication of the temple. But, of course, David didn't build the temple. Solomon, David's son, did. But also, this is a a song that was sung by the nation. It's a song of remembrance. It's a song of remembering the wailing, but also the healing. It's a song of, of, of lifting up the Lord because he has lifted them. He healed them when they had, as we would say, one foot in the grave. And he chose to restore them from among the others who go down to the pit. This is why it's a, it's a resurrection song. And, it's, and it's, a national, it's a national song of salvation. And can you imagine that along with the Star-Spangled Banner, that we would sing this song of extolling the Lord because he has drawn us up. He has healed us and, and restored our lives from among those who have gone down to the pit that he's done this for us as a nation a national song of thanksgiving for the lord's deliverance from our sins wouldn't that be amazing yeah if 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 we're going to turn mourning into dancing we must locate our help years ago, I can recall swimming in Lake Chickamauga there in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where we, where we used to live before moving here to Dover. And I, I was at, I was at the lake Me and some friends of mine, we were, we were, we were, uh, had been playing basketball for hours and thought, Oh, let's go, let's go swimming. You know, and I didn't locate where the lifeguard was. So what uh, I'm in, I'm in the lake. We swim out. I swam. I swam pretty far out. And, and, uh, My legs cramped on me. I'm flailing in the water. Oh, if I could just get back to shore. Oh, I'll be all right. And I was struggling, and then the lifeguard comes up and says, You can stand up here. (laughs) See, See, if I had located that help before... It would not have been such a, a such a panicking moment. <laughs> so, yeah. See, you, you, we need to locate our help as a nation, as as individuals. Yeah, so our, our help, it isn't, it isn't in our military might. Our our help isn't in the next election cycle. It's not in the Republican or, or the or the Democrat or the Libertarian or the Green Party. But our help is in the Lord. David said, O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. See, transforming mourning into dancing means to locate our help in the Lord, but also it requires you to learn the lessons of God's favor. Look at verses four and five. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. See, the psalmist, see, this is good news, isn't it? That God has favor. He gives us favor. And it, this, favor, this favor is his goodwill and, and its pleasure, whereby he delights in his creation. Now, it's not, it's not the hesed that the scripture talks about. It's not, the, it's not that steadfast covenantal love that God has for his people, but it's his goodwill and, and his pleasure. And his goodwill and his pleasure, it teaches us some things. This is the grace that God gives to to everyone. And there are at least three reasons, three lessons of God's favor here. The first thing, it teaches us to value the witness of community, the community of God's people. Look at verse 4. Sing praise to the Lord, O you his saints. You see, David's deliverance is not just for him to enjoy in his solitude, even though that may be the case, but it's with the saints. See, the lessons of God's favor are meant to enable us to witness as a people. It's like, it's like the more bees involved in making the honeycomb, the sweeter the honey becomes, but another lesson of God's favor is the contrast between his anger and his love. God's anger, the text says, is momentary. His favor is for a lifetime. And this contrasting of God's anger and, and, and love is something that God himself revealed when Moses asks to see his glory. Remember the story in, in Exodus 33 and 34, Moses asked God if he could see his glory. God's going to wipe out the people, and Moses intercedes. Oh, then what will people say about you, God, if, they, if you kill all these people? You know, so so God tells Moses, you want to see my glory? You can't look on my face. If you do, you're going to die. Let me put you in the cleft of this rock, and I will cover you and pass by, and you can see my glory. My backside. And the text tells us in, in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Do you see the contrast? He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He keeps steadfast love to thousands of generations, but he limits his anger to the third and the fourth generation. Isaiah 54-7 gives us the same picture when it says this, For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. God desires, God desires us to enjoy him forever. Hallelujah. And by the way, you and I can't enjoy anything the way that we ought, that it ought to be enjoyed apart from enjoying God. God desires us to enjoy him forever. The third lesson we learn from God's favor is that weeping may come and spend the night, but joy comes to take up permanent residence the text says that weeping endures but the word endures is a word that means to lodge or stop over have you have you had weeping come for a visit the tear have you, have tears come to spend the night like a bad guest that can't leave your house fast enough sometimes Weeping and sadness makes a reservation at the hotel of your life and and then overstays its welcome. But scripture says weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. God's favor, it, it moves weeping out and opens the windows, raises the shades, lets the sunshine of joy come in. And one day, the scripture tells us, there will be no more night. And God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. Joy will be everlasting. Hallelujah. Turning mourning into dancing requires learning the lessons of God's favor because there are lies you can't live by. Look at verse 6 and 7. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. You see, mourning, mourning into dancing takes, it, just the phrase itself implies that, that there has to be a change in perspective. Because your perceptions, your perceptions have to be altered. Perception, the, pro, the process of, of apprehending by means of the senses or, or mind can be colored or just wrong. When your perception is colored or wrong, your understanding of how things really work is skewed. In other words, there are lies you can't live by. And the the text says this. That in order to turn mourning into dancing, the Bible tells us, yes, you can't live by a false sense of security. Verse 6 reads, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. See, this is, a false, this is a false sense of security. But this is what David told himself while he was relaxing in his palace. David was, was doing what the proverb had warned about in Proverbs 18.11, when it says a rich man's wealth is his strong city and, and like a high wall in his imagination. See, the rich man thinks his riches makes him invulnerable, that his riches fortify him. That's a lie you can't live by. Yeah. So another and another lie you can't live by is in verse seven, where the favor of God is mistaken for the approval of God. And you ask, well, how do you, how do you get that out of this verse, Pastor? Well, look at what David is doing. He's confessing his sinful thought. He recognizes that the prosperity he enjoys is from the favor of God, but he took that to mean he's okay with God, and that's the problem of of a a self-reliant, self-righteous religion. I must be right with God since he is blessing me. No, Jesus tells us God makes the, the sun to shine on the just as well as the unjust. See, Job's friends believed that the blessings of God were proof that God approved of you they were repeatedly telling Job that he his suffering was because he had some sin that he's hiding and Job told them they didn't know what they were talking about. And at the end of the book of Job, we find out God says they were completely wrong and Job was right. See? So there's nothing there's nothing wrong with being prosperous. God like David acknowledges, is the one who makes your mountain stand strong. And one commentary in, 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 in looking at this verse put it this way, in itself, prosperity is not evil but good. It is promised to the righteous, Psalm 1:3). It's a token of God's favor, but it needs much faith and humility to prevent it becoming a snare. It often leads to pride, self-indulgence, and forgetfulness of God. Thus, what is good, is perverted to bad uses. And isn't that isn't that true about a lot of good things that God has given? A lot of good you know and if you think about the things that that take place in our in our nation, the things that take place in our in our personal lives, sometimes it's good things that God has given that we use in a perverted way. That's the very definition of idolatry. Spurgeon as he when he's preaching on 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 this on this issue of, of handling prosperity he says it's it's hard to hold a full cup steady yeah yeah that's a, that's true and so if you think that prosperity is equal to approval with God that's a lie you can't live by if you tell yourself that because you enjoy some prosperity that God is pleased with you you're fooling yourself you're making an idol of riches and and God will, like He does for David, chastise, chastise you to wake us up from the lies that we can't live with. To turn our mourning to dancing, we need to know God's hiddenness is a wake-up call. Because look, notice how David's notice how David's perception changes when he couldn't sense the presence of the Lord. He said, "You hid your face; I was dismayed." You know? Do you know? It is exhausting to try to keep up the appearance that you have it together when you really don't. God hid himself from David so that he might seek after him. Temper Longman, in his commentary on, on this passage, he says this about, about this, about about God hiding his face. He says that God redemptively abandons. Don't you love that phrase? He redemptively abandons. This move was redemptive in that the feeling of divine absence caused the wandering psalmist to run back into the arms of God. Yeah, see, this too is a mercy from God, which leads us to lean on this mercy that you can't live without. Look at verses 8 and 10. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You see, transforming mourning into dancing is to locate your help, learn the lessons of God's favor while not believing lies we can't live by, but lean on mercy from God that you can't live without. The mercies, the mercies from God are a lifeline that God throws to us in order for us to live by. Hebrews 4.16 says it this way. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that word that's translated receive is a a word that that means to, to catch with the hand and make it your own. See, take so you say, take the help, take the help Christ offers. Embrace the mercy God has given. Make it your own. Talk to God about your sin, about your failures. Talk to God about your mourning. He's merciful. Mercies from God evokes Prayers of honesty and and boldness. Listen to the the bold and the honest prayer of verse 9 of Psalm 30. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? The mercies from God calls us to prayers that plead for more mercy. David does what the Lord, through Isaiah, years later, would encourage the nation to do. Come now, let us reason together. David reasons with God. What, what profit is there in my death? You see, leaning on the mercy, leaning on, on the mercy that you can't live without keeps the transformation of mourning into dancing moving. To be able to approach God with this kind of boldness. It only happens because loving kindness loosens your sackcloth, bringing lasting gratitude. Look at verse 11 and 12 of, of Psalm 30. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and, cha- and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. See, as, as you as you're reading this chapter and as, as often you see in the Psalms doesn't it, doesn't it seem like David he just something a, a flip a switch is flipped and he just he goes from being completely in the dark to oh man you know the light, the light is the light is just brilliant. See David said here that, that, that God has changed my clothes. I had on I had on the sackcloth. My clothes for, for wailing and, and weeping and mourning. My sin, I had, I had on these, these clothes, but the Lord took them away and placed on me, as Isaiah would say, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Hallelujah. See, loving kindness from God is, is, is empowering us to continue in the vow that we've made to walk with Christ. The mercy we've received is a brand You might say a brand that we wear to remember to walk worthy of the calling we have received. You see, each time, each time the power of the resurrection is experienced in the forgiveness of our sin, it becomes for us motivation to pursue holiness. And it's not that we're saving ourselves because that's not what's happening, but it's because Christ has saved us. It's because he has lifted you from the pit. See, God, David acknowledges, is the one who does all this. Why? To what end? Well, verse 12 says, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Isn't that a strange phrase? That my glory may sing your praise. Not that your glory sing. No, that my glory may sing your praise. See, David now marks his identity and his significance and his worth to the salvation God has provided. It's not in his kingship, it's not in his prosperity or his power, but the salvation the Lord has given is worth all of his glory. And that's why that's why David vows to give thanks to the Lord forever. So see it's so it's valuable for us to mark the mercy that's given to us. When it, or otherwise, we're taking for granted the work of Christ. Have your clothes been changed? God helps us change our, our mourning sackcloth for, for clothes of, of gladness. See, what's happening here, brothers and sisters, is God is inviting you and I to dance. And only he, only he can turn your mourning into dancing and if you don't get anything else out of this message, here's there's, this is something that you can that you can take. It is right to bring your mourning to Him. It's right. So I hope you dance. I like the Leanne Womack song years ago that that, that where in the chorus she's reminding her child how to approach life with humility and and risk and and joy. I mean, it's a great song. I used to yeah I would listen to this and I was a truck driver so you see truck drivers sometimes listen to country music <laughs> so so yeah you know, I mean I hear this song and it's like oh that is so good oh. but but i and i love I love the chorus you know because humility risk and joy aren't, aren't those aren't i mean that those those are all all elements of a dance aren't they yeah, you, you have to be humble because somebody leads. There's risk because they might step on your toes. And there's joy because of the occasion that causes you to dance. I mean, there they are all elements of the dance. But she says she says in her, in her song, I hope you still feel small when you stand beside the ocean. Whenever one door closes, I hope one more opens. Promise me that you'll give faith a fighting chance. And when you get the choice to sit it out, or dance. I hope you dance. I hope you dance. Some of you have been wallflowers too long. See that's an old term for people who didn't dance. They just stood by and watched other people dance, wallflowers. That's what they, that's what they were called. So 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 you can look it up. uh, You've been sitting too long. You need need to locate your help in the gospel. In the gospel, learn the lessons of God's favor. Let the gospel dispel the lies you can't live by. Lean on the everlasting mercy in Christ that's available to you. You can't live without it. Let the loving kindness of Christ loosen your sackcloth and bring you lasting gratitude. Gratitude. You see, the psalm, the psalm is teaching us that the resurrection power of Christ is sufficient to teach us these rhythms of, of living with joy. Sin and pain and, and, and loss can't stop the resurrection power of Jesus. Oh, See, now, see, that's a shout out loud. That's a shout out loud statement. Yeah, that sin and and pain and loss can't stop the resurrection. Because all of those things are the things that you think might stop you. But they can't stop the resurrection power of Jesus. He died and rose from the dead for that reason. He himself would say, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. How? Well... You know, let's look back at, 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 at the questions there in Psalm 30, verse 9, because it tells us how these, oh, and so, so those questions in, in Psalm 30, verse 9, they're answered by Jesus Christ. What is, what prophet is there in my death? you imagine Jesus asking us, and and the and the scripture answers in Isaiah 53 verses 10 and 11. When my soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring; he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many for uh, to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. What prophet is there? in Jesus death, there it is. That, that's the prophet that many who are unrighteous are counted as righteous because he bears their iniquity. The other questions the test guys: will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Well, let's trace this idea of dust through the scripture just for a moment. God says to Adam in Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The Bible also tells us in Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. We are dust. Will the dust praise you? Jesus said, When they tried to tell him to tell these, tell these, tell these children to shut up because they're making too much noise. They're disturbing the whole city on that Palm Sunday when he goes riding into the city. You know, Jesus said, if the children don't praise him, the stones would cry out. Will the dust praise you? God is able to make the dust praise him. In Revelation 5, 13 to 14. What we're reading there is the sound of dust praising God and telling of his faithfulness. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Will the dust praise you? will it tell of your faithfulness? Yes, because Jesus, the lamb who was slain and has risen from the dead, revives and reanimates the redeemed dust from every tribe and language and people and nation, giving them renewed bodies, wherein they will forever praise God and tell of his faithfulness. Well, did the hymn writer say, He will raise me from the dust. Jesus is my hope and trust. Hallelujah. See, The power of Christ's resurrection is not just about rising from the dead. That is great. It is true. But it's about his life growing in us moment by moment. It's saying with the Apostle Paul, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day day and the end of of Christ's resurrection power is that all of your glory all of our glory all of our our significance all of all that we that we search for the worth that you long to have assigned to you the value and the reverence you desire to have is all bound to the Lord's deliverance of your soul thus my glory is all the savior my glory sings praise to the Lord. I have nothing of which to boast except for what Christ has done in and for me. Because Jesus is mourning, brothers and sisters, is, is turned to, to dancing, turned into dancing. When he's raised from the dead, so it will be for all whose faith is in Jesus. Jesus lives and so shall I. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for your word and the great grace that you've given to us in, in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. How 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 joyful we are, Lord, in the midst of in the midst of mourning and in the midst of grief. So often, Lord, too many things to to name. But yet, your presence, your promise, your, what you've done for us in Christ is enough for us, Lord, to continue. Thank you for loving us so completely. Thank you for placing your spirit in us as a guarantee of the good things to come. Enable us by your power to be a testimony, a witness to the watching world as your people.